Colossians chapter 3. Well, we are beginning this year kind of taking a road trip. We are looking to see how can Christian families thrive in today's culture. And we're looking at some road trip essentials. And we are at verses 18 and 19. We're going to spend the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about how to experience God's best for your marriage. And I'd just like to give you a little general overview, a little review. Uh, We spent the last two weeks talking about how important it is that you engage your heart in your relationships. In fact, beginning in verse 12, all the way through 17, you're going to see that you and I need to fully apply our heart in not only loving God, but as we love God and respond to Him, we're going to be loving the people that we're in relationship with. Now, when it comes to marriage, a lot of folks enter into marriage with a whole idea of what can I get out of this, right? And they're all fixated and focused on what my spouse is going to do for me and how it's going to be glorious and all that sort of thing, right? That orientation, you keep carrying that through, is going to lead to a lot of problems in your marriage. You need to see as an opportunity for you to grow and mature. In fact, like we talked about last week, relationships are designed for far more than your happiness. They are designed for God's glory and his people's holiness. And so you engage your heart, and if you take to heart what you find written in verses 12 through 17, then you are in a position to embrace your roles. And I, I want to strongly urge you, make sure that you're starting to grow in verses 12 through 17. You've got a Christ-oriented orientation. You want to see him exalted, because if you do then you're going to want to start embracing your roles because after all, God is the one who designed marriage. He probably knows how it best works, right? And that's what you're going to find in verses 18 and 19. He says, verse 18, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. If you're saying, Grant, man, I have a really short-term memory and I can't pay attention for very long, maybe 10 seconds. Could you give me just two words that will just really help me in my marriage? And I can Love and respect. It's this way, guys and gals. Without love, which is a wife's deepest need, being unconditionally loved, she has a tendency to react without respect. And without respect, which is a husband's greatest need, he has a tendency to respond and to react and to go forward without love. But if you've got a heart that's filled with love and respect you can move forward in embracing your roles. And let me tell you what happens then. You start experiencing God's blessing and his reward for moving forward by faith. And it is glorious. I mean, it is when you're living life, like in marriage or in your family, the way God intended, and you're doing in his strength, and you're growing and maturing, you've engaged that process and you're embracing it. I'll tell you what happens. God is glorified. Holiness is developed Uh, You're going to find that oneness is experienced, joy is realized, maturity actually starts being manifested, your children are loved, and your legacy is going to be established if you will be willing to go God's way and His strength. And I'll tell you, that is what I want for my life, that's what I want for my marriage, that's what I want for my family, and that is what I strongly desire for our church. Who wouldn't want that? I'll tell you what, if we want it, God says, I've outlined it in my word Take me at your word, let my life be lived through you, and experience my richest blessing, and I'm going to be glorified in the process. So we're going to look at this. 
We're going to this morning look at a wife's role in a Christ-centered marriage. It's kind of like this. Ladies first, right? You ever wonder where that came from? It came from the Bible. It was God's idea. He says, all right, I'm, I'm telling you about relationship. This is what it looks like. This is the qualities you want to have. And let's start with the ladies. Verse 18. Now, when we, uh, when we come to this whole subject here, this is actually on center stage in American culture right now, uh, primarily because of this woman, Candace Cameron Bure. Okay? She has a new book. There she is. You might remember her from the uh, series on TV called Full House. She wrote a book that's just being released called Balancing It All, My Story of Juggling Priorities and Purpose. Okay? So not only has her book come out, and her publish has made some, made some releases, but she's actually now on these TV talk shows and making appearances on these morning programs. And she has drawn the ire of a lot of folks in the nation. And you're saying, well, what? how did that happen? What did she do? Well, let me just give you a little excerpt, not only of what her book says, but what she's saying on TV. She says, quote, I am not a passive person, but I choose to fall into a more submissive role in our relationship because I wanted to do everything in my power to make my marriage and family work. Okay, so she is married to her husband, Val Bure. They've been married for 17 years. He is a professional hockey player. They got three kids. Uh, They say and seem to respond and live as very happily married people. She says, I want to make everything work in my marriage. So she says, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking a more submissive role. And then she says this, the definition I'm using with the word submissive is the biblical definition of that. So it is meekness. It's not weakness. It is strength under control. It is a bridled strength. So let me ask you, is she just totally out there in left field? Or after all, is she maybe aligning herself up with what God says in his word? You need to get this figured out. Who or what is going to be the authority in your life? Culture, your emotions, your preferences, or is it going to be God and his word? That is going to be critical. Because if it's going to be God and his word, then we're going to have to look carefully and closely at what he says and ask God for the strength to do as he's asked. And God never asks us ever to do anything apart from his strength, the presence of Christ dwelling within us. So he says, verse 18, wives... Be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, now let's, you see that word subject, and you're like, whoa, wait a second, how did that get in the Bible? What does that even mean? It has the idea of submission. And a simple definition of submission is this inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of her husband. You could put it this way. Submission means that a wife willingly and lovingly places herself under her husband's leadership as an expression of, of her devotion to Christ. It's really that she sees herself devoted to Christ and seeing him honored that she actually follows through with her role of aligning herself under her husband's leadership. And this is going to show up in actions and in attitude. It's not like you're just kind of perfunctory, just kind of moving through the motions, like, I hate this, but I'm trying to do it. It's a heart, and your heart's in it. And notice what it says, as is fitting in the Lord. Did you see that in verse 18? Submission begins with an attitude of wanting to see Christ exalted, and that comes when you entrust your heart to God. You're saying, God, I love you, I believe your way is best, and I am trusting my life in your hands. And when you have a heart like that, then you are able to start fulfilling and following in this role. Now, if you are kind of thinking like it's all about romance and marriage, okay, and that's what our culture says, right? It's all about the fizzle and sizzle, right? But as soon as that goes away... 
then what happens? You're like, oh man, my marriage is in trouble because I don't have all those feelings. You need a much stronger basis for developing a relationship than your emotions. You know what you need? You need God and his word. And the conviction is that I am going to actually do in the strength of Christ what he's asked me to do. Now, you might think like, whoa, the whole idea of submission and headship, that must have been, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, I'm going to make your life miserable. And so now you've got to submit to your husband and he is going to be a Lord and his headship is going to be terrible. Uh, You need to know this. That what happened is that sin, when it entered into humanity, it didn't create headship and submission. Actually, that was there before the fall. What it did, when sin entered in the world, it turned, it turned these, these, the way that God has designed marriage and it made it distorted, ugly, dehumanizing. And that's never what God intended. God wants it beautiful. It's a team working together for the glory and the exaltation of Christ. It's the experience and the blessings of oneness. And that's what God has. And so you need to know, wife, you're married. Maybe your husband's sitting next to you. I mean, look at him, you know, that sleek fella, right? His hair is turning a little gray. Some of it's starting to fall out. You know what I'm saying? But he's in a role. His role is to love you like Christ loved the church. That's his role, okay? But you also have a role. Your role is to align yourself in his leadership. And really what you find in expanded version in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, you see the restoration of relationships into God's divine design, where this is a beautiful expression of Christ loving the church, a husband loving his wife, and like the whole idea of the church submitted to Christ That's the whole idea that a wife carries through and yields herself to her husband's leadership. When that takes place in a church and in a family, God's glorified and you experience the blessings of that kind of relationship. But if you're a humanist, then what happens is that you decide if you're going to respect someone by them earning it. And if if you don't like something, then you don't do it. Let me just tell you that a good wife always gets started with good theology. And Ephesians 5.33, remember I referenced that verse? If you want another synonym for the whole idea of submit, you could use the word respect. It does so in that text. Now, the biblical concept of submission, really, it happens in the context of a loving relationship. It is, it is, let me just describe it to you. Let me give some of the ways it's expressed. It's expressed through loyalty, faithfulness. It is, looks like supporting, completing, allegiance, willingness, uh, consideration, flexibility. That's what it looks like. And the world has kind of like torn this all apart. It has taken the word submission and it has completely redefined it. It has made it as ugly as possible. Even saying the word, people are like, you know, they all shudder. So let's just talk about what submission is not. If submission is a woman entrusting herself to God and in her role as a wife, she is willing to align and trying to align herself with her husband's leadership, then what is submission not? Well, let me tell you, submission does not imply inferiority. Galatians 3 verse 28 makes it crystal clear that spiritually there is absolute equality between man and woman. We are one in Christ. But do you remember the the Trinity? Do you remember when you read through the Gospels how Jesus submitted to the authority of the Father? Are Jesus and the Father not equal? 
Absolutely, they're, they're three in one. They're absolutely equal, and yet there are roles even within the Trinity. So there are roles even in the equality of marriage. Now, when submission is not like, okay, all women are subservient to men. They act like serfs. Not there. You will not find that in the scripture, though the world wants to pin it on there. A wife's submission is different than a submission that you find like with children, like in verse 20, or slaves, verse 22. In fact, children are called to what? Obey. Totally different word. We'll talk about it in several weeks from now. This is, submission is not obedience. This whole idea, this is kind of how the world pins and, and views submission. It views it as subservient, cowering, unassertive, unintellectual, inferior, lacking initiative, uh, fearful. And so the whole idea is like, you got a guy, the husband, he's sitting in his chair and he acts like a tyrant. He's like, I'm hungry, make me some food, fetch my slippers, go to the store, get me this. And it, and it kind of looks like, and, that, and the woman's just like, oh, okay, you want me to do that? You know, that is, that is foreign to the scriptures. I know that that's how it's painted, but that's not how the Bible portrays it. So let me tell you something else, what submission is not. It, it is a Christian's wife's submission to her husband is not a mindless, blind, slavish submission. It is not dehumanizing someone. It is not subjection. It's not it at all. In fact, it's really the, the opportunity that in a safe, wonderful, loving, caring environment, a woman thrives and becomes everything that God intended her to be. Christian marital submission does not mean that you just go passive and you just surrender all independent thought, that you're just like mindless and like, I just have to give up everything so I can be submitting, submitting to my husband. Absolutely not. Actually, you want the opposite to happen. You want to thrive. You want to achieve. It doesn't mean that Submission doesn't mean that you stifle your creativity, you don't use your gifts, you don't develop, you lose your individuality. Listen, you've got gifts, leadership, organization, the ability to care, administrative gifts, financial expertise, use them for the glory of God. Submission doesn't mean like, oh, you got to check that all out and just act like some sort of menial servant. Absolutely not. It does not mean you can't develop your own personal ministry. It doesn't mean that you allow yourself to be sinned against. Okay? And let me just take a little time out. If you happen to be in a relationship where your husband is abusing you, sinning against you, you need to get help now. Submission doesn't mean like, I just endure all this. No. We address it. I'll just tell you this. Most women, when it comes to this whole subject here in verse 18, they are fearful. They are fearful that they're going to lose their identity, that they're going to get run over and trampled and they're not even going to recognize who's in the mirror one day. Submission, what it merely means is that a wife willingly places herself under her husband's leadership. And she does so as an expression of her devotion to Christ. She's entrusted herself to him. Now, our culture paints this a completely different way. In fact, our culture has been emphasizing, probably since about the early 60s, the independent woman. It is all part of a feminist ideology. And that is that, hey, listen, you're a woman. You've come a long way, baby. You don't need a man. You don't need a husband. You, you really don't need a family. I mean, you opt for it if you want, but that's totally your choice. You don't need God. You don't need a Lord in your life. You are it. You make the calls. You do what you want. This, this kind of mindset 
it is leading to the deterioration of our culture. It may even lead to our demise. But that same spirit, that same kind of mindset, it's made its way in the church. And now, we don't even want to talk about these verses. A lot of churches are not going to talk about verse 18. Because you might, oh, women are just not going to go for that. That's today's woman. It's as if like, the scripture is like, well, that doesn't apply to today's culture. And that's what moderates and liberals do. And it's like, oh, that only applied to the, the church at Colossae. They were having a little bit of issue on that. No. Let me just tell you that submission is beautiful in God's sight. And it's beautiful when it happens in marriage like God intended. Now, what are some specific ways that um, wives are not submissive? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a book called The Excellent Wife, written by Martha Peace. She travels around the world counseling women, writing books, and teaching. And she teaches on the subject. And she has these specific ways wives are not submissive. So let me give you some of them. Uh, she does things that are annoying or vexing to her husband, Okay. So if you're always trying to be irritating, puzzling, debate ad infinitum about issues, she says that's really not submission. Um, another specific way wives are not sub submissive. She does not discipline the children as she should. Even after they've agreed as parents, hey, we need to really address this, she goes, well, I know we talked about that, but I really want the kids just to like me. You be the bad guy, okay? But I'm just going to keep these little kids right here. And she doesn't follow through. Another one. She is more loyal to others than to her husband, maybe more loyal to her friends, more loyal to the kids. In fact, she might even have conversations like this. Hey, we're just not going to tell dad about this dress that we're buying. Or, you know, I know that dad doesn't want you running around with these friends. We'll just not mention it, okay? That, that is not aligning yourself with your husband's leadership. Let me give you some others that she has. She argues or pouts or gives him the cold shoulder when she does not get her own way. The idea here is that you play that little passive-aggressive game. You know how that works, right? All of a sudden, things aren't going the way you want them. Whoosh, locked down, right? And you just go silent. All of a sudden, that knitting project that you had going about five years ago, it comes out of the bag, and you just kind of get focused on that, and you start closing down, right? But then, then you see that your husband is making a decision that you do like, where he's kind of moving in a direction that kind of makes you happy. All of a sudden, you know, you're, you're just giving him all this attention, like, oh, you're so wonderful, you know? That, you know what you're doing. You are manipulating. That's what's going on. That's not what we're talking about here when we talk about submission. Uh, another one that Martha Peace gives, she does not stay within the limits of their budget. She could care less. She goes, that's what credit cards are for, man. I'll just do what I want. You just spend away and you put your family in all sorts of debt. I can assure you, financial mismanagement leads to a huge strife in marriages. I, I have seen marriages divorce, and this is the number one issue. Because if you just spend, 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 care less, won't, will not align with what's going on. Let me give you another one, Martha P. says. She corrects, interrupts, talks for her husband, and is too outspoken when others are around. Or she writes, she manipulates him to get her own way. She manipulate, manipulate by deceit, tears, begging, nagging, complaining, anger, or intimidation, okay? Uh, that's what she's doing. No one is surprised in some circles when, like, a wife will say, you know, my husband wants me to do this or wants us to do this as a family, and other wives go, oh, no, 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 you need to step in and kind of, like, assert your authority. It's kind of like this kind of philosophy. Yeah, so the husband is the head. But the wife 
She's the neck. And she turns that little head wherever she wants, right? You know? She's like, oh, I don't really want that. The head's like, I'm trying to do this. And so the wife, she's like, I'm going to take over and I'll take control. You can make whatever decision you are, but I'm really the boss in this game. That, that's not submission. In fact, let me just tell you, if you are engaging in manipulating your husband, you're wearing him down, wearing him out. Did you notice in the next verse there, it talks about husbands love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Why in the world would they, why would God have his spirit have that written in scripture? Because if you're wearing out your husband, what happens is he starts to just get embittered. Martha Peace gives some others. She makes important decisions without consulting him. Or she directly defies his wishes, whether it be with like finances, schedule, activity. And it kind of looks like this way. They've made a plan. They've discussed it. They've talked about it. They're going to do this. But then the wife goes, nah, you know what? I've decided we're going to do something different. Or it has the idea that, yeah, I'll submit as long as I like the idea. But as soon as I don't like it, what happens? We're going to close her down. Martha Peace tries to address that. Let me give you a couple others. She worries about the decisions he makes and takes matters into her own hands, or she does not pay attention to what he says. Let me give you a proverb to consider. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. I feel like I'm the most privileged man in the church. You know why? Because God somehow allowed me to marry Karina. She's a crown. You know what? She's never ever publicly thrown me under the bus. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure there's been plenty of opportunities that she's had, right? But she hasn't. I tell you, it's, it's beautiful to be married to a godly woman that, that not only embraces the role, but thrives in it. And like I tell guys, this is my one talk to guys when they're thinking about getting married or young guys, just marry up, okay? In my case, I get to launch forward, all right? But that's what you want to do. You want to experience a oneness in marriage, and a, and, a love, and, and a love relationship that happens when you embrace your roles. And if you were a younger gal, 20s, 30s, early 40s, and you're like, what in the world are you talking about? I have never heard these sort of things. Or you don't have a role model like to, to actually think about. We talk about discipleship all the time at fellowship. You go find a little older woman who's demonstrating godliness, and you ask her, can I meet with you some different times? I want to ask you some questions about marriage. I want to learn about walking with God. Will you make an investment in me? And ladies, take it, take it on. Take that challenge on. You don't want to just go through and start setting up some patterns because, listen, once you get moving into the 40s and you've got about 15, 20 years of track record of doing it wrong, it gets really tough. And you might have to settle for a Cold War Zone marriage and you don't want that. And let me just tell you, it is every wife's decision. And really, it's a matter between you and the Lord, because notice what the text says, as is fitting in the Lord. When you see yourself submitting to the Lord, and you're focused on Him, then aligning yourself with your husband's leadership, actually, that starts to make sense and becomes doable. Elizabeth George, uh, she wrote a book, A Woman After God's Own Heart, and she writes this, As soon as I stopped thinking about submitting to Jim and started thinking about submitting to the Lord, my struggle to submit slowly began to abate. I sort of mentally set Jim to one side, and left me, that left me staring straight into the Lord's faith. face. Suddenly, the how of submission became much simpler and easier. My submission had nothing to do with Jim and everything to do with the Lord. As a familiar scripture says, whatever you do, 
including submitting to my husband, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, Colossians 3.23, what a blessing to apply the scripture to honoring, submitting to, and following Jim. If you're single and you're thinking about getting married, I want you to take a little time out and you seriously evaluate how is this guy making decisions? Does he have a process? Do you see the logic in it? And do you, could you support those kind of decisions? If you can't see logic, let me tell you what you need to do. You, don't, you cannot ever come to those kind of decisions that he's making. You hit the pause button. Don't you just go launching forward. And, oh, yeah, but he's got wonderful eyes. Oh, yeah. That's going to be real pretty when you're sitting in my office and your marriage and tattered and torn apart because you based it on some sort of hormones or emotions and not on God and his word. You take it seriously. What, how does he make decisions? Is he respectful? Could I respect this guy for the rest of my life? Could I align myself under his leadership? And if it looks like craziness right now, hit the pause button. You don't want to move forward. So what does Colossians 3.18 look like for spiritually healthy wives? Well, let me just give you some examples or tell you a little bit what this looks like. It looks like cultivating a heart of humility before God. It literally is entrusting your heart to him. When you got humility before God, you're going to have a willingness to go his way. It also looks like prayer. It looks like praying for wisdom from above, like James chapter 3, verse 17, where you're praying for purity and being peaceable and gentle and reasonable and full of mercy and good fruits and unwavering and without hypocrisy. You're asking God to take you deep and to make you real and to experience his life being lived out in yours. That's what it looks like. It looks like being a gracious team player. You know those verses we've looked at in 12 through 17, chapter 3? You put those into play in your marriage, I guarantee your marriage is going to move forward in health. It's going to be good. Um, Let me give you some more. It is showing loving respect as an attitude of unconditional acceptance. You may have noticed that your husband's not perfect, right? You're like sitting there like, well, tell me something else I don't know, right? Okay, he's not perfect. Neither are you, by the way, but we're not talking about that. Your husband is not perfect. He's got issues, right? In fact, it's kind of like this. You're basically picking him up where his mama left him off, okay? And you're like, oh, man, that helps me understand. Okay, and that's what, okay, we're back at 15. Okay, I'm going to take some steps forward. But what's happening here is that if you are showing him an unconditional acceptance and you actually show him that you're his helper and not the Holy Spirit in his life, he's going to move forward. In fact, he believes that he actually could start loving you like Christ loved the church. Let me give you something else if you want to, help, you want to see health in this verse. Keeping your husband as a focus and a top priority. Your husband knows where he fits on your list of priorities. He knows if he's up there on the top, and he knows if he's down there on the bottom, or if he, knows, he also knows if he hasn't made the list. And it's going to show up in his behavior and his attitudes, and it might explain why he's actually living the way he is. So you want to give him time, you want to give him energy, you want to give him support. The media presents that you just got to be head over heels, and that's what love is all about. And if you're not head over heels, you either move on or get something changed, or you can just kind of close down. But you make it a point to make him a priority. Just remember this, love isn't just a noun, it's a verb. It's a choice, it's a decision, and it's a daily process. And love is the most important word 
in your marriage. Let me give you another thought on how to be healthy with 318. Responding to your husband's words and actions positively. Elizabeth George, who does a lot of speaking and writing on this issue, in her book, A Woman After God's Own Heart, wrote this. She writes, quote, Ooh, you know something's good when an author does that. She writes, Submission came hard for me. I was a student in the 60s, a decade of protest against all authority, and I was also part of the women's liberation movement in the 70s. So when I first became a believer, I had much to learn from God and the lovely women I met at my church. Yet, old ways die hard. I would buck, snort, kick, and fight with Jim about everything, which lane he should drive in, whether or not we should get donuts before church, his method of disciplining the children versus mine, how he'd handle his ministry, on and on our struggles went. I knew what the scripture said. I'd even memorized the passages we've been considering. But I still couldn't submit. For me, the breakthrough came with developing a positive response. I trained, yes, I trained myself to respond positively to anything and everything my husband said or did. Ask of each word, act, or attitude, am I bending or bucking? Whenever tension wells up in your heart and you're resisting or questioning your husband's direction, ask, am I bending or bucking? And your answer will point to the problem. I interviewed quite a few ladies in preparation for this message in our church. One lady told me that she had grown to learn how to use the word sure. And listen to what she said. I would have missed out on so many things in life if she hadn't actually learned how to say, sure. The family flows better when he feels respected. Our lives work better when I'm submitting to him, making decisions together, but following his lead. Let me tell you what else it looks like in a healthy marriage. Loving respect is voluntarily regarding and noticing and honoring and admiring him. Okay? Now, what I'm about to tell you is going to be golden. Your husband needs your encouragement. I'll tell you what, if, if that's absent, like he never hears anything good, doesn't even have an, any inkling that you respect him, care for him, that is like the absence of those words is deafening. You do not know, women, what power you wield with encouraging words to your husband. I mean... You, you encourage your husband, I mean, you literally just like set him on fire. He just it flourishes on knowing that his woman is behind him and with him, and they're in this together, and that she actually supports him. And despite his issues and flaws, she, she still has, finds areas that he can respect him. I'll tell you what, and there, here's something else. You want to put a million-dollar deposit in your relationship bank? All your husband has to do is get wind that you have actually publicly bragged on him. If he just kind of heard it through the grapevine, I mean, maybe it's a newsflash that this happened or something like that, but if he finds out about that, I'll tell you what happens, man. If he finds out that you thought he he thinks he's a good dad or he's smart or he's hardworking or he's wise or he's godly or he's sacrificing or he's kind, and he finds out that you told someone else about that, man, it's just, he he will live for you, he will die for you, because he happens then to know that you're for him. Now, let me uh, give you another, if you want to see Colossians 3.18 in a healthy way. Loving respect does not diffuse his spiritual life. You want to encourage his spiritual life, but you cannot manipulate it, okay? But anytime your husband, uh, he shows, like he might like to read the Bible, 
Uh, he's here at church. Uh, he wants to be in a fellowship family. He's going to man to man. He is making forward progress. That shouldn't be like gnashing of teeth. That should be a cause for celebration. You, you, want, to, you want to see your husband grow and mature. Loving respect does not diffuse his spiritual life. Like, man, you are so far behind everybody else in the church. All right? You don't say things like that. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I wish you would have got started in this 20 years ago. Those sort of things are not helpful. Let me just tell you, there's some disadvantages of setting this aside. And you, you need to probably be aware of them. You're going to find that if you set this all aside, you take 318 and go, <laughs> no way, I'll endure this sermon, but I'm out of here and I'm back on my own program. I'll tell you, it's going to be hard to pray and read your Bible. Uh, one lady told me this. When you're out of fellowship with your husband, you're probably out of fellowship with God. And if you find that you're more of a doer and he's more of the procrastinator, kind of passive kind of guy, you trying to fix and manipulate this apart from you trusting God for his peace, patience, wisdom. One lady told me that when she does that, she seems to shut down the work of the Holy Spirit in both of their lives. Let me give you another disadvantage of setting this passage aside. You feel like you're not fulfilling your role. If you're a Christian, you see it right here in God's Word, and the Spirit of God is seeking to cultivate in your, this in your life, and you're going, eh, 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 I'm not doing this. You're going to feel like you're not fulfilling your role. You just need to know it. In fact, it's going to affect every area of your life negatively. Your family dynamics, meal times, um, your kids are going to pick up on this. Your life is going to feel heavy. Another disadvantage. You're setting up your husband for potential failure. Say, what? what? What does that do with anything? If I want to close down and not really take this verse too seriously, what are you talking about setting my husband up for failure? Okay, your husband knows. He knows the degree that you actually are seeking to do this. And what happens is this. You got wives that shut down. You got this little coexisting marriage, which describes probably a lot of marriages. And then some woman, doesn't matter what she looks like, she just starts showing a little bit of attention to your husband. She starts showing respect. Says, man, you're, you're good at your job or you're kind or whatever like that. And that's like electricity to him. It sets him alive. It is no excuse for an emotional affair type relationship or far worse. But I do want you to know it does happen. Let me tell you, that's what happens if you chunk this. But let me give you some rewards to, for wives who choose to take this passage to heart. You're going to build a best friend relationship with your husband. It's going to be awesome. You're going to go through life together. You're going to move forward. You're going to make decisions together. It's kind of like sometimes going through marriage is like being on that Oregon Trail. You know, and I read a book over this this Christmas. You know, sometimes there's a deep valley. It takes two weeks to cross a river. Other times it's like, wow, this is awesome and wondrous. But you actually go through it together. And you even look back, even on the difficult times, and you see that you've made some track together. You got distance covered together, hand in hand, one to one. We're with each other. You've seen God take you through it. I'll tell you what, you develop a best friend relationship. And when those little kiddos are out of your house, you're not going to like find yourself like pulling your head up in the sand. You're like, who's that? That's my husband? You don't even know the guy? No, you want to go through this together with Christ, growing close to one another. I, I, I have never made a significant decision apart from my wife. We talk about all sorts of things. She brings things to my attention, like, have you thought about this? What about this? I, I need that desperately. Saves me a lot of pain and grief and making a lot of mistakes, some of them very public. And I'll tell you why. We're cultivating a best 
friend relationship. Don't you want that? Well, then do as the text says. Engage your heart, embrace your role, look for God's reward. Let me tell you some other rewards. There is stability for you and your children no matter what the age is, if you do that. Let me give you, you're going to feel safe, you're going to feel secure, more love. It's going to relieve anxiety. You're going to find peace in your heart and home because you've chosen God's way and not another way. You're also going to grow. You are going to see that God is going to change and transform your life because you're trusting him. And what happens is you start leaving a testimony. You start testifying that God's word is right, that his way is best. And I'll tell you, folks are watching, your kids, you are setting their default pattern in their life. Your extended family, your neighbors, people you work with. There's so many blessings to see that kind of growth and that kind of testimony. And let me just give you one other. Your husband, if you'd be willing to do this, he is going to have the opportunity to become all that God has called him to do. Now, what happens, though, if your husband is not acting respectfully? What do you do? I mean, now we're talking about some pretty serious pain and anguish. What if he's straying or stagnant or worse, sinning? Well, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. You might want to jot these down, but it says this. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that if, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. God did not call you to make your husband holy. He's called you to be faithful. And what if you were married to an unbeliever? Well, you know what you want to do? You want to put this into play. You want to love your husband. You want to align yourself with his leadership. You want to enjoy him. You don't want to see him as the enemy. Hey, listen, don't be thrown off if he's not interested in Bible study. You wouldn't be interested in Bible study if you weren't a Christian. Don't, if you didn't want to go to church, that shouldn't shock you. Did you want to go to church when you were a non-Christian? No. He may not be interested in spiritual things. What you want to do is you want to pray and you want to let the life and the light of Jesus shine. And as much as possible, you want to be as one with him. Now, if he is asking you to do something that's either immoral or illegal or go and get drunk, you, you, listen, this is how you handle that. You say, hey, you know what? Thank you for including me, but I'm just not able to participate in that. But how about we go out to dinner or go bowling or go to the rodeo or whatever it is, go to the movie. You, you show him that you want to be with him. And you pray for God's strength and you ask for God's grace. And I'll, let me tell you, that is precious in God's sight. It was the evangelist Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham Bell. And she said this quote, It is my job to love Billy and it is God's job to make him good. Okay? And that's how it is. You as a wife, you're called to love your husband. And it's God's job. To change his life. You leave it with him. Now, I can tell you this is going to be a real struggle. This is not easy stuff, is it? One lady uh, told me this. It is an act of trust and a process of submitting to the Lord. I have to battle with the, what the world t- always tells me, that you can ha- do whatever you want to do. When I am discouraged in my marriage, fleshly thoughts tell me, this could be better, or this is all because of my husband. I am constantly told by the world that if I move something or someone aside, you will be much better off. So this is going to be pretty hard, especially if your husband's pretty passive. But don't wait for the perfect conditions, okay? Don't think, okay, well, as soon as my husband acts pretty close to perfect, then I'm going to really kick it into high gear. No, nah, not going to happen. You're called to be faithful. 
Let me give you um, some hindrances from fulfilling your role as a godly wife. Like comparing your situation with others, whether you're comparing husbands, life, marriage, financial condition, where you're living. Now, that's, that's going to be a hindrance for following through on this. Another one is cultivating bitterness. What happens with bitterness? It kind of sets in. It's kind of Satan's strategy. It's divide and conquer. You don't want to do that. You are not two countries in arms negotiations. You don't want to power up on him if you make more money at your job than he does. Remember, you're in this together, and you're going to have to learn how to forgive. 3.13 tells you how to do it as Christ forgave you. And that's, you're going to have to forgive your mate. You're going to have to forgive yourself because you need to move forward in grace. Let me give you another way that, that's going to be a hindrance or an obstacle. And that is for caring for other pursuits and other people more than your husband. George Strait, country music singer in 1996, he had a number one song and it had this refrain in it. I know that she still loves me, but I don't think she likes me anymore. You know that one? How in the world did a song like that become number one in the nation? You know why? There's a lot of guys, they're singing that tune. They know. They know. They know if you love them, you're for them. You know, you just need to know this, wives. There's very few, if any, guys in your husband's quarter. Cheering them on for them. They're out there taking a beating, and sometimes they do very good. They need you. Uh, let me give you another way that's going to make this an obstacle. Closing down physical intimacy with your husband uh, his need for sexual intimacy can be compared to your need for emotional intimacy. You may have noticed that your husband is wired a little bit differently than you are, okay? A physical intimacy with one's wife is one of the ways that a husband feels closest to her. And it's, what it does is it affirms his masculinity. It's kind of like a reciprocal relationship, okay? When you've got a healthy physical relationship that seems to promote health in other areas... And when you've got health going and growing and maturing in other areas, it seems to promote, promote sexual intimacy and health in that relationship. And so you need to know that. And if you're like, whoa, wait a second here. You got a Bible verse on that? I do. Several. <laughs> you might write this down. 1 Corinthians 7. Look at all these people writing this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 3 and following, it says this, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have the authority over his own body, but the wife does. You see this reciprocal relationship? And then he says this, Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan, what? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Satan really want to be a part of your marriage. Don't let it be that way. You know, if you chunk all that, you're going to have a husband that's frustrated. He's going to become pretty bitter. And he's going to be a magnet for temptation. It is no excuse. It's wrong. It's sinful. If he buys and bites into that, but you need to know you play a pretty big role on that, probably more than you've ever thought. I'll give you another way that uh, becomes a hindrance for a godly wife fulfilling a role. That's criticizing your husband. You just kind of open fire on him. You napalm him in public or whatever. You just go after him. If you can't treat um, your husband in respect in public, I'm pretty sure you're not doing it in private. 
He absolutely needs you. It's kind of like this. I heard of uh, one woman, she, she's having a bad dream. She wakes up. She wakes up her husband, Henry. Oh, had this terrible dream. It's a nightmare. It was about this. They were having this auction and they were auctioning off husbands. And some husbands were going for tens of thousands and a few for a million. And Henry's like, well, really? Well, then, well how, how, how much did I go for? And she goes, oh, that's what was so terrible. They were taking ones like you, putting them in bunches and selling for a dollar a bundle. Oh, man, I hate it. Hey, listen, if you're having a bad dream like that, don't go public with it. Don't tell your husband about it. You want to keep some of these things to yourself. And by the way, I do want to tell you this. I've never met a woman who's ultra-dominant, iron-fisted, trying to run the show that's happy because she's going against the grain of godliness. Let me give you another hindrance. Communicating and dealing with conflict without any sign of love and respect you need to communicate love and respect even when you're having your conflict. Don't go calling names. Don't be saying, you always, you never. And just a word of advice, don't bring his mama into it. You're like your mother, okay? That's really going to change the conversation and not for the better. Don't try me on it. it. It won't be good. Don't do it. Don't do it. I warned you. Let me give you another one. If you have complacency in your spiritual life, if you just won't walk with God, it is going to show up and it's going to make it hard to do this. Because your heart's not right. And after all, this is entrusting yourself to God. In Martha Peace's book, The Excellent Wife, she writes this. In summary, submission is a way of rightly responding to another person. A wife can respond with tenderness and gentleness, or she can respond with harshness and irritation. Submission is the way that all Christians should respond to God and the way the wife should respond to her husband. In the areas where you know you have failed, you should take a few minutes and confess your sins to the Lord. 1 John 1.9. Then go to your husband and ask for his forgiveness. It may be best that you be specific and give examples. Your attitude should be humble, focusing at this time on what you have done wrong. You can begin today to be a gentle, godly, submissive wife to your husband. It is the heart of God for you. And let me tell you, we are all, husbands, wives, married, single, we're, we're all sinners. We need the Savior. Now, let me also tell you there's great resources for you. There's some websites like Focus on the Family and Family Life Today. They have articles that cover everything from finances to sexual relationship to communication. The resources are out there. It's, the question is just how much you've investment you want to make in your marriage. Now, some of you are familiar with this woman, Dr. Laura Schlesinger. She, she wrote this book called The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands. What a title. Okay? Lots of people bought this book. I want to read you an excerpt from a letter in that book. There's this husband named Roy, and he writes this. The world is full of messages to men that there are standards we don't meet. There is always another man who's more handsome, more virile, more athletic than we are. And none of that matters if the most important person in our life looks up to us, accepts us as we are, and loves us even though we aren't perfect. Maybe there is a part of the small boy that never leaves the grown man. I don't know. All I know is that the husband who has a wife who supports him and praises him for the positive things he does is the envy of all the other men who have to live with criticism, sarcasm, and constant reminders of their failures. And in her book, she just says this, you can have a great marriage, even if you're married just only to a decent man by giving an ample supply of the three A's. And her three A's are acceptance, approval, and affection. A husband that's got acceptance, approval, um, affection coming his way on a pretty regular basis, he's going to keep coming back for more. Robert Lewis and William Hendricks in their book says this. Listen to this. I can tell you from personal experience that for the man who is trying to lead 
A wife's submission is a wonderful and affirming response. It fills him with confidence and a belief that he really can love his wife as Christ loved the church. But if his best efforts or even worse, his failures are met with resistance, rebuke, and reprisals, then he'll more than likely revert to the selfish, lording, chauvinistic attitude that lurks in his sinful flesh, the character that God said would be there after the fall, or I might add, or he just goes passive. So ladies, you got a choice, and the choice to love is yours. It's really between you and God, but it's going to make all the difference. You say, God, I'm trusting my life, my heart, to go your way. And husbands, if your wife feels loved and knows your love, knows, knows that you love her, she can thrive in this role. And if you've got a wife who's actually growing and taking steps in this, or maybe it's happening in full-fledged fashion, she is picture-perfect on this, does she know that you are grateful and that she is precious in your sight? You might want to tell her. You see, a person whose heart is filled with love and reverence for God, they're going to have the ability to love and respect their spouse because one's relationship with Christ empowers oneness in marriage. And remember, when it comes to relationships, it's far more than your happiness. God is interested in his glory and your holiness. And he does that in the context of relationships. So husbands, I want to see you next week. I don't want you finding your bass boat, finding your deer blind in the middle of nowhere, you hiding it, you're in the garage, out on the golf course. You want to come here because marriage takes two. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for these precious women. They are, they're awesome. To see this happening in so many marriages, we give you the glory. God, would you give us the ability to trust you with everything in our lives? Would you accomplish your purposes? We ask for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.